chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside uh, to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless... We are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Glorious Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts in order that we might know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. Like many of you, this week was, uh, in many sense, a difficult week. Hearing news of another shooting at a school is always disheartening. It's worth lamenting. What's also worth lamenting is sort of the fallout that inevitably happens in the course of uh, those weeks before we move on to something else. We hear the same empty promises They're not bad promises, but they're unattainable promises. Perhaps you heard, do whatever we can to make sure this never happens again. It's unattainable in this world. Because in order to make sure this never happens again, you have to get rid of people. Because people are the problem. There's a great discussion that our our country needs to have that we just keep not having because we talk about the wrong things. You didn't come for a political sermon, and I'm not giving you one, so don't worry about it. But what this produces in me, anyway, is a longing for the kingdom to come. And it's what should be produced in your heart as well. The inability of earthly rulers to bring about the ideal society that they might think they have in their head. 
Also the recognition that perhaps their ideal society is not really an ideal society. Last night I could not resist the temptation of watching Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And that's struggling with that question of safety at what price. And there's always the balance, safety and freedom. You can't have both in perfect measure. You cannot have absolute safety and still maintain freedom. We struggle with trying to understand the kingdom we live in. We struggle to live in that kingdom. And guess what? So did the people Jesus was talking to. They were struggling to live, not just under Rome, but the man that we also see once again, Herod. They were struggling. And Jesus was in the process of offering them a very different kingdom. The big idea this morning is that Jesus declared and demonstrated His kingdom through miracles. I should say, he declared and demonstrated through miracles his kingdom. That might be better. might be more accurate. Let's start with the fact that Jesus and the apostles, not just Jesus, but Jesus and the apostles declared the message of the kingdom. That runs throughout this entire chapter, if we have ears to hear. The action begins in this chapter with Jesus sending his disciples out. He apostolized them and sent them out specifically to proclaim the kingdom of God. That was was to be the drumbeat of their message. It was to be in distinction to the kingdom of the earth that they were so familiar with. A kingdom that we see right here in the middle of chapter 9 resulted in Herod putting John the baptizer to death because John had the audacity to point out the sinfulness of the king. We live, just like they did, in a kingdom that does not want to hear about the sinfulness of the kingdom. We live in a time where people want to tune out certain sins anyway. Other sins they want to magnify, they want to, they want to uh, harm people who commit those sins, and they are real sins and should be addressed. But still, there's sort of a selectivity within our culture about which sins can be addressed and which sins must be ignored or, in fact, called good. They lived that. They had an oppressive tyrant who put the prophet of God to death after putting him in prison, because he had the audacity to point out the sins of the king. The text that we're actually, I'm actually preaching on comes, uh, begins with the disciples returning from their little missionary journey within Israel and debriefing with Jesus. They spent time telling him everything that happened about the opportunities that they had to proclaim the kingdom. And then something went wrong. (laughs) 
they're interrupted. Their session meeting got broken up by crowds of people who came looking for Jesus. And now I imagine, and if I'm one of the 12 disciples, I know I'm irritated. Because, you know, I've been out and I haven't been spending time with Jesus. And I want to spend time with Jesus. And the, all of these people keep interrupting us. Okay, I can, I can understand that because I'm a selfish person. Okay. Jesus has missed the disciples, but he doesn't say, go away crowds, I'm with these guys right now. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you in about three hours. He turns and we see that he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. He saw this as a divine appointment, as a gospel opportunity to make known the kingdom that he represented, that he was calling people to come into this kingdom, which is different from Herod's kingdom and Rome's empire. In fact, the very reason they're coming to Jesus, I believe... The very reason they're following Jesus, aligning themselves with Jesus, is that they're longing for a different kind of kingdom. They're looking for hope. Because they're finding none in the kingdoms and empires that they live in. In the aftermath of, of various shootings, that's where we find people. They're aspiring to a different America. But I believe it's an unattainable America. This, this week, a large portion of our country is celebrating the release of Black Panther. Because, now you and I won't get this, but they want to see a hero that looks like them. They want to see a hero who speaks to their experience. And so my African-American friends are very excited about the, black, about the movie Black Panther, which I hope to see Monday. But they're talking about the kingdom of Wakanda. There's something about that that draws them. They wish there were one because it's very, very different than their experience, any place they have lived. And Jesus is speaking about a place that is very different from any place you and I have ever lived, but it's not a mythical, magical, imaginary sort of kingdom like Wakanda. It is the kingdom of God. And he calls us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff that you want, the things that you need in the context, food and clothing. All these things will be added to you. Seek this kingdom about which Jesus speaks. And so his message from the beginning after his baptism had to do with the coming of the kingdom and therefore, the call to faith and repentance because of the nearness of the kingdom, because the king was present. What we really need to grasp that they had trouble grasping when they heard him was that the greater son of David 
was ready to establish the greater kingdom than Solomon's. The promise that was given to David in 2 Samuel 7 is about to become reality. The kingdom of the Son, the perfect and eternal Son, is about to be established. And that required faith and a turning away from the values of the kingdoms of this earth. This kingdom that Jesus was about to establish is, is one in which the Holy One died to qualify us and to make us holy as we see from Colossians 1. That's fundamentally different from Herod's kingdom where the Holy Ones are put to death. Not for the establishment of the kingdom, but for the maintaining of the kingdom because we can't tolerate those people. Very different. But as I, as I think about these, these differences between the kingdoms, I want us to remember that evangelism is about sharing the vision for Christ's kingdom. That's part of it. Compared to other kingdoms. And so we, we speak of the glories of our king, but we also speak of the glories of his kingdom. And so we should be tapping into the longings of the hearts of the people who are dissatisfied with this world. There is an attractiveness to the kingdom because we should be honest about the the racism and the oppression and the greed of this world. And pointing them to a place where that doesn't exist. Because all people are made in the image of God, male and female. A place that should captivate hearts is what we've been entrusted with. And so Jesus engaged people with the captivating message of a kingdom that was unlike any they had ever experienced. They declared the message of His kingdom, but they also demonstrated His kingdom through miracles. You see, they didn't just have a message, but they also demonstrated the reality of the kingdom in a way that we don't experience, or at least... I haven't experienced. Okay? It says there at the beginning of this chapter, He gave them power to heal. And it says that they went about not just proclaiming the message, but they went about healing. And so their mission trip was unlike any mission trip I've been on. We were declaring the kingdom. I never healed anybody. They did. That's part of what they were talking to Jesus about in their their debriefing uh, event there. But then they were interrupted. And so initially they went to this place, Bethsaida, which is on the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, and it has other names too, the Gennesaret Sea. There's a whole whole bunch of names for this this sea that they're, they're near. 
But one of the things that's interesting is that the town of Tiberias had some sulfur springs. Sulfur springs which had turned into sort of a healing resort or medical therapeutic resort where people who with various illnesses would go and they'd They'd drink the water and sit in the springs. and Actually, they wouldn't drink in the water. That would be bad. Sulfur spring, not so good. But they'd sit in the water, and they, they believed that it had some restorative powers for them. These were some of the people that sought out Jesus. They'd heard. They came. They were seeking healing. And so the text says, Luke tells us, uh, that he cured those who had need of healing. He cured the sick. He cured the diseased. He cured the crippled people who had made their way to where Jesus was. Jesus, unlike Herod, did not turn a blind eye to the misery of His people. But instead, He engages engages them and He brings therapy or healing to these people. In a sense, it points out one of the realities of the differences between the kingdoms, at least to me. Because in an an earthly kingdom, unhealthy people are an annoyance. They're a drag on the economy. They're a, a serious inconvenience. But in Jesus' kingdom, they're people to be welcomed people to be restored. See, that's the point. The earthly kingdom can't fix all of these people. Herod couldn't fix these people. There are people, some of you are in this room, that are, you know, have been over periods of time. Medical science can't fix. And so, in a sense, you become an inconvenience. You become a problem. We see how our governments, with the best of intentions, still make a mess of things. Overheard a conversation last night at our chili cook-off. Boy, it's easier when you say you're going to self-pay to see a doctor than it is when you have insurance. You get in a whole lot quicker. Huh. All this stuff that everyone says makes our lives better often doesn't. What we see here in the miracles of Jesus by the Sea of Galilee is that miracles reveal the fullness of the salvation that Jesus brings because Jesus cares about both body and soul. He doesn't just say, bring me your sins and I'll deal with them. Bring me the whole person and he'll deal with them. That's important for us to grasp. Jesus cares about the body. Why? He made the body. And sin has corrupted it. And so he comes to deal with not only the way that sin has corrupted the soul, but with the way that sin has corrupted the body. So Herman Ritterboss, that Dutch guy that they made me read in seminary, 
For the kingdom of God revealed in miracles signifies the redemption from all evil and the restoration of the whole of life. It's an intrusion of the eternal heavenly kingdom into the present so that those people got a a clearer glimpse of what Jesus Jesus is going to ultimately accomplish for everyone who has faith in Him. That while in this life you may not get that physical restoration you want, it will happen when you receive a new body, the redemption of your body, at the return of Jesus. So, it's a glimpse. It's a, it's a foretaste. It's an appetizer of something much grander than people could ever imagine. And yet, oddly enough, these disciples who not only witnessed Jesus performing miracles, but also because they've been given power by Jesus, performed miracles themselves, see the hunger of the people and don't know what to do. It's very interesting. His disciples underestimated Jesus' power as well as Jesus' kindness as evening approached. What we, what we see in um, the reading from uh, Exodus 16, the grumbling of the people. They're grumbling because they thought God brought them out of, out of Egypt into the wilderness to kill them. They're doubting the goodness of God. We see the same thing in the, as Psalm 78 kind of retells those events. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? God's people continually struggle with the goodness and the power of God. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Absolutely. He did in the days of Moses, and he's about to in the days of Jesus. But can you imagine for a moment witnessing all of these miracles, performing them yourself, and still struggling with doubt and worry? I'd like to think I wouldn't but I probably would. Because like them, I too can struggle with spiritual amnesia. Forgetting who I am in Jesus Christ. Forgetting the blessings of the gospel that uh, He has given me. Forgetting the, the grace upon grace that I've received from His hand and His kingdom. Jesus demonstrated the kingdom's reality, fostering hope as he performed these miracles in the wilderness. Thirdly, Jesus demonstrates the hospitality of his kingdom. Jesus doesn't want the disciples to disperse the crowd to find food and lodging. 
He says something to them. You give them something to eat. I have questions about that statement. Did they still have power to perform miracles? Was Jesus actually saying to them, take care of it? And and they, being clueless people, thought Jesus meant they had to buy food for him and cook up stuff. I don't know. Was Jesus exposing their inability to do this or was he exposing their unbelief to do this? I'm not really sure what's going on. Sometimes we don't recognize the opportunities we have. Last week, I was sent on a mission to pick up our Papa Murphy's. There was a special deal. And somehow we messed up the, uh, we didn't understand the special deal. And so instead of buying one pizza and getting another pizza free, I paid for two pizzas and got a third for free. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, it ain't frozen. How are we going to eat all this pizza? And instead of uh, lamenting the fact that an error was made and so and so wasn't clear and who knows what, I just called the neighbor and said, "Come on over." And Jesus is basically saying, "Come on over," to all these people. He's not going to. He's not saying, "Sorry, all we got is a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. You're on your own." Jesus is telling them through the disciples, stay here. I'll take care of it. Receive the hospitality of my house. I will give you something to eat. I will give you something to share. Sometimes we do not believe in the goodness of God. We're afraid to be generous because we think he will not provide for us. I've told you before, I'll tell, it's a story that bears uh, giving, uh, telling again. Um, one year it was my mom's birthday and she took me to see her, her mother and uh, we were in the car. And uh, this is one of the few memories I actually have of my grandmother, this, this grandmother. She gave me five bucks. For, for, no, it was my birthday. Yeah, it was my birthday. So my grandmother gave me $5 for my birthday, and my, mother, my mom stopped the car to put some gas in it, and my grandmother goes, why don't you pay? <laughs> now remember, the gas was cheap then. <laughs> that 5 bucks could have filled the tank. But my little 6- or 7-year-old mind was processing this and going, lady, have you lost your mind? Don't you think I'd give you more? Now, I had never known her to be a particularly generous individual. Um, don't we think God will provide? We see in 2 Corinthians 9, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
I believe Jesus gave the disciples what they needed to do the good work he was asking them to do. And Jesus will continue to provide us with what we need to do the good things that he asks us to do. It seemed an impossible task to feed 5,000 men and all of the women and children that were with them. It seemed even an impossible task for the local villages to feed the ten to 12,000 people that would suddenly descend upon them. And so there are many ways in which Jesus shows mercy here. But what he does is he makes his disciples servants, not heroes. Tell them to split up into groups of about 50. He didn't pre-screen them. Didn't check their ID cards. Didn't, uh, you know, make sure that they were popular enough to get in. They're not bouncers in a nightclub. Uh, whatever image you want to use. If you were there, you were in. Sit down and receive. Jesus blesses the food. And no, I know there are people who think that all this did was that it meant that people opened up their lunch boxes and shared. That's not the point here. <laughs> Jesus multiplied the fish. Jesus multiplied the bread. It was a real miracle. It was not encouraging uh, their generosity. Okay. But we see that Luke tells us they all ate and were satisfied. Think about that. All ten to 12,000 people of them were satisfied with the amount of food that Jesus provided for them, not because their appetites were small. They were probably large. They may have traveled that day. They probably didn't have lunch that day. They may have left work to come to this place. They were probably very hungry people. It was probably very important that Jesus fed them as an act of mercy because many of them probably were not working that day. They weren't going to get their day's wage. They weren't going to afford their food. And Jesus provided for them such that they were satisfied. They were filled. Let's ponder this for a moment. Jesus welcomes ordinary people to a feast he provides. Herod, on the other hand, takes the ordinary people's food to provide a feast to which he will not invite them because they are not good enough. See how the kingdom of Jesus is fundamentally different than the kingdoms of this world. Have any of you been to the White House? You help provide the meals for it. But you're not welcome there. If you flew tomorrow and knocked on the door for President's Day, there's, I hear there's a big feast happening. Can I come in and have a meal with you? You're going to be turned away at the door. But Jesus didn't turn anybody away at the door. 
He welcomes the ordinary people, the marginalized people, the poor and the needy people that don't even register on Herod's scale. Not only that, but Jesus is greater than Moses who provided the manna in the wilderness. He's greater than Elijah. We see in 2 Kings 4 uh, that he provided with similar things for a hundred men as the prophet of God. Jesus provided for many thousands of people, but he didn't just provide food. He provides salvation. Something neither Moses nor Elijah could ever do. They had enough, as I said, to be satisfied. No one was going to leave hungry. And the disciples who who were the servants before are now the clean-up crew. And uh, to show the abundance, it mentions that each of them had a basket, and each of them had a basket full of leftovers. All right. Let's talk about this kingdom for a minute. Let's talk about this phrase that is used sometimes, already not yet. We are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are already a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. That's already been done. Your status is established. So, for instance, in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. But we don't yet have everything that comes with the kingdom. Okay, you've got your passport. But the kingdom has not come in its completeness yet. And so Paul continues that sentence and he says, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And so the one thing that he mentions there is that we still have this lowly body and we're waiting for our glorious body for when Jesus returns. And so there's an, there is a not yet aspect to this. Jesus is not currently healing everyone who is sick who comes to faith. That, that is not yet and awaits the return of Jesus. But we do have our citizenship. And so, in His kingdom, right now, we can experience plenty or we can experience want, as Paul says in Philippians 4, so that He learns the secret of contentment. And also, so that we all long for the kingdom as opposed to utopia on earth. The consummation, the return of Jesus will bring the redemption of our bodies and then there'll be no more tears. Then there'll be no more hunger because there will be no more sin. The very thing that only Jesus can deal with that the earthly leaders of whatever stripe can't. No earthly king, queen, president, prime minister, dictator, whatever you want to call them, can remove sin from the human heart. And it's the sin that creates all 
the problems. But Jesus is the one through his death and resurrection that removes, that deals with the sin problem. And at his return, he will completely remove the sin problem so that his eternal kingdom will be a place of faith, hope. Well, no, not faith, not hope, because they're satisfied in Jesus, but a place of love, a place of justice place of righteousness, peace, these good things that we wish we could experience now but seem to be in such short supply. So, people long for a better kingdom. For some, it is an America without poverty, without racism, without mass shootings, Some long for mythical places like Kawanda or uh, post-war Gondor. Everyone subtly realizes that this fallen world cannot sustain our hopes. That we experience disappointment, despair. But we recognize here that Jesus declared and demonstrated a very different kind of kingdom which can sustain our hopes and can sustain our love when we have faith in the King, Jesus. A kingdom where your race, where your social status or class, your health condition, your weight, the size of your nose doesn't matter anymore. Hey, people made fun of my nose. Middle school can be cruel. What matters is Christ and Him crucified for you. Is that like any other king you've ever heard of? Well, that is a king that's worth telling people about so that they can enjoy His hospitality. Let's pray. Father, it's easy for us to miss the many things You say to us. To kind of miss the contexts of statements. Help us to see in the context of kingdom here. A context that does reach the heart. Because we have longings for something different, something better. Help us to better understand the kingdom of Jesus. So that we can recommend the kingdom of Jesus. So that we can spot the fakes and the competitors to the kingdom of Jesus. For they are many. Father, help us to see the ways in which we are struggling with doubt and with despair and indifference. 
And help us to turn to Jesus that we could indeed receive faith, hope, and love. And we ask this in his name. Amen.